Welcome back to another episode of Awareness to Action Enneagram Podcast. My name is Creek, and along with me are two wonderful co-hosts, Maria Jose and Mario Sakura. How are you all doing? What's uh, what's what's popping? As the kids say, it's really warm here in Chile. Ooh, summer is um, yeah, it's hot. So, and in Celsius, um, it's... and I see that you're like thirty-seven this week. Thirty. Wow, thirty-seven. No. That's whoa. That's like 98. 60 degrees or something. Wow. Gosh. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, that's hot. No, thank you. That's really hot. Yeah. It is. And just picture Santa Claus here dressed as it's in dressed on your end, yeah. on your end, <laughs> uh, but in summer. Yeah. Yes. So today we are talking about some something that I, I feel very um, uh, is very dear to me, which is striving to feel unique. And there's just this weird fascination. Enneagram type Enneagram four. Enneagram type four, yes, exactly. There's a there is a fascination yeah. in the Enneagram community and those like that are getting introduced to the Enneagram community where everyone wants to be a four. What is what is that? Really? That's been my experience. So. <laughs> what do you mean? I, yeah. <laughs> it just goes to show you how our our, our populations are sort of self selecting, right? So, uh, yes. yeah, interesting. Uh, has that been your experience? No, no, no. Not, not okay. my no, not in my. World, I do know no. that nobody wants to be a one, but not that everybody <laughs> wants true. to be a four. That's, that's, that's yeah, true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. In in my world, in my world, um, everybody wants to be an eight or a three, maybe a seven. Oh, okay. All right. Um, you know, but that's the business world and the grown up world, I guess. And I'm, I'm <laughs> wow. just kidding. But no, the, no, the, the the superficial, you know, people that I hang out with, you mm, know, right. want to be yes. one of those types. Yeah. That you have to dumb yeah, down nine. the enneagram too. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, right. Craig, yeah. how did you yeah. feel the time prior to the session when? when you were thinking about recording the type four episode? Uh, weirdly, I'm like, I hope I can represent that, that corner of the Enneagram well. And like, <laughs> am I going to say it right in, in some way? Uh, yeah, yes. I don't know. Because if you don't, Creek, if you don't, <laughs> the four police will come after us. That's yes. for sure. And, yeah. and I, will be, I will be shamed for not being unique yes. enough. Um, and people will start to say, well, he's not really a four. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> people will say that anyway. Yeah. yeah. And I can attest, you know, knowing Creed, you know, my view is that you're a four. I don't think anyone who spends any, uh, any amount of time with me would doubt that. Right. It's pretty, it's pretty strong. <laughs> so I guess let's, let's get the official awareness to action approach and then, I'll distinguish myself from that <laughs> to <laughs> what is striving to feel unique. So whenever we talk about the four, I always think of the one true Scotsman logical fallacy, right? Uh, the, the one true Scotsman logical fallacy is the assertion all Scotsmen love whiskey, right? And somebody says, well, you know, McGregor doesn't like whiskey. And the response is, well, he's not a real Scotsman. Right, so mm. it's if somebody doesn't fit your criteria, then you rather than questioning your criteria, you dismiss the example. Mm. Okay, and I see a lot of that with fours. Okay, because there are these views of fours being 
you know, either super intense and super angry and some kind of, you know, outcast. It's somebody who has like a day job. Well, how could they be a four if they're a salesperson or accountant or mm-hmm. you know, attorney or something like that? Um, Let alone they, be the leader of a team. I mean, that just right. can't be a four. Or a CEO of a company, <laughs> yes. right? right? You know, no, a CEO, you know, a CEO couldn't be a four. The reality is, is that fours come in all shapes and sizes. But what they share, and this is our criteria for all the types, okay? We've got these nine strategies, and we call somebody a four because of all nine of the strategies. The one that they non-consciously use the most is this one we call striving to feel unique. And this is this um, inner sense that I am different from other people, and I need to explore that sense of being different and assert that sense of being different. And the degree to which I assert it or different people assert it will, you know, vary in a lot of different ways, right? Because mm-hmm. some people, you know, they may have a need to be very assertive about asserting how different they are. And other people will be much more subtle about it. Mm. And where they do it depends on their instinctual bias, right? So preserving fours will be focused on their environment, expressing how my, you know, my taste is different. The way I, you know, prepare my home or decorate my home is different from others. Navigating fours will be focused on their identity and transmitting fours will be focused on what they create in some way. Mm. Okay. Primarily, it could be a combination, but it's... Of, of course, yes. Yes, you're right. I'm talking... Yeah, good point, Maria Jose. I'm talking about emphasis, not exclusivity, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, every four will express all of those things, but depending on the instinctual bias, it will be biased towards one of those areas over the other two. So I imagine in a work environment, the the place where you all do a lot of your Enneagram training and whatnot, the four that finds themselves in a more business setting is probably not the same four that you see attending normal Enneagram events. Is that Would that be correct? Yeah, I, I, although I think that to some extent applies to all the types, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that most of the people who go to Enneagram conferences or Enneagram workshops are not the average corporate citizen, right? Um, it doesn't mean <laughs> you that were hoping You were hoping we would say yes. <laughs> Fours are different, but no. no. <laughs> yeah. This is one of the reasons why some of the descriptions of different Enneagram types, particularly the four, but not exclusively, are skewed to the kinds of populations that attend self-help workshops. Mm-hmm. Lots of therapists, for example, lots of people in helping professions and so forth, okay? Lots of consultants, lots of coaches, you know, on and on. Uh, why? Because, well, it's harder for people with, you know, nine to five jobs to get a week off mm-hmm. to go to a, you know, to go to a workshop or, or something like that. So it helps to see people of all the types in their natural environment and not just Enneagram workshops mm-hmm. and draw our assumptions about the types from there. But I've met fours who do all sorts of jobs, you know, realtors, attorneys, accountants, you know, on and on. Will they still be fourish in the way that they carry out those jobs? Absolutely, right? They'll put a little bit of twist on it, okay? They'll try to do a little bit differently. You'll see these flourishes of some kind of creativity or perhaps rebellion against the status quo. But I like to say that they're not all, you know, purple-wearing beret-hatted, clove cigarette smoking, yes. you know, 
adolescence. I was going to mention that because of those descriptions, when you see a four, at least in my experience, when you see a four in the workplace, it it, it was a bit um, surprising to me at the beginning to see just regular people hmm. dressed as anybody else would, resonating with the four description. Hmm. Yeah. And, and it is, I think, because we don't talk about just artistic things or the purple thing. It's just striving to feel unique. And so, but, but I could notice my own bias towards kind of expecting more colorful or kind of uh, eccentric styles when it doesn't need to be the case. I remember one, one guy, remember the, the guy in Egypt who said that his way of expressing the four was in, uh, assembling the IKEA furniture right. Right. in a different way, not just like <laughs> right. the instructions said, yeah. but differently, you know? And, and that guy was, he was an academic at a university in, in Egypt, a very straight-laced, you know, suit-wearing guy, right? And, you know, but as the training went on, it started to become very clear to us and to himself that he was a four, hmm. you know? But, you know, you wouldn't have picked him out of a crowd, you know, which is what I think we often expect when it comes to force. So in, in more of those, I guess, business corporate settings, is the emotionality there that it often gets attributed to a four? So it's more subtle most of the time, right? Because you always, again, you have to look at what's demanded of the environment, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are behaviors that are acceptable in the corporate environment that are not acceptable in other places, right? Or that are not acceptable in the corporate environment that mm -hmm. you might see somewhere else. So there will be, it tends to express itself more as a slight melancholy than as a deep emotionality. Now that will vary, okay, because I'm very convinced that Steve Jobs was a transmitting four, okay? And if you read Walter Isaacson's book on Steve Jobs, his emotionality is all throughout the book, right? I mean, I think that book is a text, a, a case study in a transmitting four. And I can't tell you how many times in the book it would say, well, Steve Jobs didn't get his way, so he sat in the corner and cried, you know? Um, and I'm not suggesting all fours do that, but I'm just saying that he is a more extreme example mm. of the emotionality that somebody who you know, wasn't founder and CEO of the company wouldn't feel as comfortable expressing. So it tends to be more muted very often. Mm. So Creek, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. In this attempt or desire to feel unique, um, my experience with fours is that they have these tendency to compare themselves to other people. And because that's the way to check that I'm different. How do you experience that? Lots of different ways. So walking into a room i mean this brings up some navigating things but immediately i'm i'm noticing how i'm different from other people and then after that it am i superior or inferior to them and then if it starts going too far one way then it'll be like it's like superior inferiority or inferior superiority like just constantly finding more and more distinctions. Um, like if I'm in like Nashville, I, I've been mistaken for people before because I'm just like, I'm dressed like every other Nashvillian down there. And 
in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, but like, this is how I'm different from everyone else. Cause like these schmucks, they couldn't like do what I do. Like go on a hike and do like really tough physical things. They're all like sipping their lattes. And, and then when I'm like in, in the sticks, like I am now, I'm like, oh, pff, they don't appreciate good lattes or cortados. Like there's always just this finding another way to be better than, um, or, or just different from you don't know what it's like to feel this or to be challenged in this way. Yeah, does that, does that answer the question? <laughs> it does. And in the be challenged, can you say more about that? So do you feel that you've got it tougher? Or what do you mean by well, challenged in this case? I think there's, there's just a predisposition or bias towards, yeah, just thinking that you have the worst situation. It doesn't happen as much anymore just because... I've worked through some of that. So I'm, I'm trying to think back to other, to older situations where that was more prevalent. But yeah, I think a, lo a lot of times fours feel like they're the most tapped into reality because they're, they see more of the darkness of life. That's not, depths do contain darkness, but just because you're tapped into darkness doesn't mean you're tapped into depth. And there's a false equivalization between darkness and depth. And we're just, when you're obsessed about what's missing and what's wrong, then you find all the different ways things are wrong. And then that makes you feel like you have a, a corner on the market of what's real. And every, all these other schmucks don't, don't know what, what's going on yeah. actually. You know, what you're describing is very common of force. And you're right. It's a navigating for sort of mindset, the walking into the room thing and the, uh, the back and forth and up and down. Because I think Maria, Jose and I would both say when we walk into a room, we have a similar sort of thing. Uh, I know for me, it only goes one way, right? It's, you know, how am I superior than, you know, and, and so forth, you know. Uh, how much lower is everyone else? Yeah. But <laughs> well, the, the point of like so, finding the inferiority is is so that I can diminish how they are inferior so that I can somehow be superior again. Right. Yeah. So, you know, for me, the growth for the four is in realizing that most of what they're doing is just derivative of, you know, say Holden Caulfield, right? Uh, you know, in Catcher on the Rye, right? You know, Catcher in the Rye is about this boy, a teenage boy named Holden Caulfield, who kind of skips out on school and spends the day wandering New York and talking about how phony everybody else is, mm. right? And so it's this classic book about teenage angst and finding my identity by pointing out, at least to myself, how phony and inauthentic everybody else is. And, you know, one of the things that always for me is the mark of an immature four is the Holden Caulfield syndrome, right? Where they're just repeating, you know, what every other four since the beginning of time has done. Now, fours aren't the only ones that do this, right? We talked last time when we talked about the eight, about how... You know, eights go through this process of you know thinking they're 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 badasses and how you know they can get through life by being you know mean and gruff and that just gets boring after a while. You know, I mean, all of us get boring if all we're doing is repeating the fixations of our type. Hmm. But the path to growth for the four is I don't have to show that I'm different. Hmm. And and I think part of it is because there's such a desire 
to maintain my distinctness and separateness and uniqueness. It's also a way of avoiding vulnerability um, and controlling the image to the point where I only want you to see what I want you to see and control the darkness that you see as part of my mysterium. But what I've, what I've found is that vacillation between superiority and inferiority is, is where I create that distinction from which I derive my significance. And then I use that superiority as a substitute um, for loving myself and the inferiority as a substitute for loving others, just to keep all of that at a distance to maintain that distinct <laughs> flawed self. So, so that's interesting. You said maintain that distinct flawed self. So the, the sense of being flawed is actually kind of comforting, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, there's, like, there's a ton of layers on this, but that distinct flawed self gives me not only an excuse for when I mess up, right? It's also, it gives me on some level a reason for people to chase after me. Not only am I distinct, but I'm flawed and people feel some sort of drawn to, makes me feel icky just talking about it. But it has this sense of like rescue, rescue me on some level. And people like to feel good when they rescue someone. So there's there's just kind of sort of drawing close and then pushing away. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm writing a song for the new album right now where the chorus is get closer to me, but at an arm's length. Um, and that's just the whole, that's <laughs> the whole dance. <laughs> um, so where can people get this album? Yeah, well, I mean, it's not out yet, but there is music on okay. Spotify and all the other places. My kids really like it. <laughs> you don't, but they your kids do. It. Got it, okay. <laughs> I do too, I do too. I thought it would make you feel even more yeah. special that a teenager well, in no, Chile that, that, would listen true. to your music. That's true. <laughs> Seth Creekmore, he's really big in Chile. Yeah. Right. Hey, I'll, I'll do a show. Um. <laughs> so uh, what you were just talking about there is related to the connecting point of point two, mm. right? So the, the, mm. the strategy at point two is striving to feel connected. And according to our way of thinking about it, we, we talk about this as a support strategy for the four, mm. right? That the striving to feel connected serves to reinforce my sense of uniqueness. If special people love me and take care of me, well, that just reinforces that I'm special. Mm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And if average, dull, boring, mundane people love me, that must mean that I'm average, you know, mundane, boring, et cetera, as right. well. So there's a rejection of the love of those who are inadequately special. Mm-hmm. And, and with fours, there's, so the fascination with more of the dark side with more of things that people threw on the trash. It is a gift in that we we actually find the gems in the muck, right? And a lot of artists, people love when people do that with art. But I think on some level it's a it's an attempt to make the darkness beautiful so that you can't attack it. You can't say like that tortured artist, he made such beautiful art but he was a bit of a dick. But like, that's okay because he made such great art. Right. So there's a way to, <laughs> to kind of use that as a, as a tool for justifying not being a great person. I think that all the types do that in their own way, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Of, you know, relying on this identification with, you know, the, the, the type strategy in some way to reinforce their 
um, you know, failings as a human being, mm -hmm. right? One's, you know, saying, yeah, I know I have high standards, but that's because you people are all, you know, screwed up and need somebody with high standards. <laughs> and if you can't take it, then, you know, screw you. All the types do this in some way. Mm. Just they do it in different ways. Right, right. Making the unpalatable things mysterious is a way to gain some level of exception, acceptance without doing the work. So we have the neglected strategy that it's point one of striving to feel perfect. So what's your relationship with that strategy, Craig? I would say it, it shows up a lot in any of my, any of the times that I do some sort of creating, whether that's in the kitchen or in the studio. It often paralyzes me in the studio, especially just not knowing how to communicate the emotion perfectly and authentically at the same time. Both something that, like for me, lyrics are such a pain to write. I value really great words and really great lyrics, but they're always, they're always incomplete and not sufficient to express the thing that I'm trying to express. Sit me down in front of a computer and let me like play a keyboard and like create this massive musical soundscape. I can do that all day, but to try to like put something into words just feels terrifying and terrible. And it's different for different fours, obviously. Some people love the word situation, but that needing all the aspects of a song to be perfect, not only for me, and that there's no longer tension in my chest because it's not what I want it to be, but also that it makes sense to everyone else. It makes it to become a very long process to get something done. I see it show up when I'm cooking. I often just kind of glance at a recipe and then jump in and let intuition guide me. And then when things don't... When you do preparing <laughs> beefs too? Yes. No? I wonder how many episodes we'll, we'll get, you know, we'll get out of the whole beef stew thing. Huh? It's, it's not beef stew. It's, it's, it's a, what is it? Beef, I can never say it. The, the French dish that uh, Julia Child always Bourguignon. made. There it is. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it if it if it's not working out, if it's not tasting right, if I if I mess something up and I did something out of order and now it's like it's ugly or it's just not tasting mind-blowing, then it feels like a failure and I lose <laughs> the joy of cooking rather quickly. Fours have a, an interesting relationship with the strategy of point one, right? Because on the one hand, it's don't expect me to be perfect. You know, don't you expect me to be perfect? Don't you expect me to follow your rules? Don't you expect mm -hmm. me to do it your way? But when it comes to what I have in mind or what I want done, it better be right. Mm -hmm. And you better meet my expectations as well, hmm. right? There can be a real rigidity in fours in their expectations of others. You know, they can they can seem very one-ish to other people. Yeah, I think in some ways that speaks to oftentimes in relationships, being understood seems more important than actually being known. Like, I don't care if you agree with me as long as you understand me. If I don't feel like you're getting the point, then it just tears me up inside. <laughs> and and sometimes for fours, being understood is far more important than understanding mm, yeah. others, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Which can make fours seem to other people uh, as kind of self-absorbed, mm -hmm. right? Because there is this inwardness that fours have of, you know, well, what what does that mean about me? What does that say about me? How am I feeling about this? And so forth, that 
you know, can rub some folks the wrong way at times. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into being down on fours. No, or that's fine. Any we love that. Types. And I think, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I know, but it, it, but it also is part of the misrepresentation. Sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's why so many people don't understand fours, or a lot of people don't see fours outside of a very specific stereotype. Mm. Now, first of all, there's always levels of health and maturity, and as we go through life, we. Um, you know, we grow out of, you know, some of our issues and so forth. We become more settled. We become more comfortable mm-hmm. with ourselves. The classic uh, virtue of the four is equanimity, right, which is balance. And so instead of there being these ups and downs and highs and lows, things sort of even out more. And, and that's okay. They start to find the beauty in the more simple things. Yeah. And whenever we teach about the four, we talk about the Japanese concept of wabi-sabi. Right, which is the aesthetic of flawed authenticity. Mm-hmm. Right, so the Japanese teacup, for example, is not perfectly round. Okay, it's it's flawed in some way. And to go even a, a step further, there's the practice of uh, kitsugi, which is where you crack the teacup and then fill it with gold. Mm-hmm. Right, and to show that the part that is cracked is where the authenticity is, right? That's that's where the unique thing, because no two cracks are going to be the same. Mm-hmm. So that, that streak of gold will always be different in every cup. Right. right? Uh, these are good qualities to have, right? I mean, they add flavor to life, right? They add richness and depth to life. So I always like to look at the um, the value that each of these things bring in addition to how they can be dysfunctional, right? Because there's a lot of talk in the Enneagram world about the dysfunctionality of the types. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're they're ways of dealing with pain, they're ways of protecting ourselves, et cetera. Yes, and they are also positive, active forces as well. The striving for quality of the one is a good thing that they bring to the group. You know, the strength of the eight is a good thing. And the the uniqueness, this uh, focus on experience, this focus on richness and difference, creativity is a great gift of force. Mm. Yeah. So, so when you see other fours, Greek, what do you like about them? As long as they're generally mature and healthy. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think this is true across the board with, with any type like same type interaction is there's an un, just the unspoken language one, one of my dear friends is a is a four and um he actually went with me and the uh the other fathoms guys down and did a retreat a couple of years ago we got to the cabin and i was inside cooking and he was going to be taking photos and whatnot but we went off on a hike we came back he had gone to goodwill to grab new dishes and things to decorate the table because the dishes inside the Airbnb were not aesthetic enough. And just how happy that made me, that someone was anticipating that, thought about that, went out of his way to go buy some dishes. Um, So I could just focus on this, make like making the food a rich experience and he was taking care of the aesthetics as a rich experience. And it was just, we're clicking on that level. It's just someone else to help me make that experience more meaningful and deep and rich and memorable. Yeah, that's that's what I love is just that sort of commonality, sharing in that desire. I, I just want to say too that again, that speaks to the value of this strategy and the people of it, right? Because what you described there 
is a way of making experience richer. Mm-hmm. And when we make our experience richer, it forces us to slow down. It forces us to be present, right? To notice it, to stop and say, hey, wow, look at this, okay? And, you know, let me taste this. Let me experience this. Let me be here for now. And those are great qualities. Mm-hmm. I, I had a friend who's like known me since like second grade. He was in town and he said he doesn't like scotch. I'm like, all right, we're going to fix this. <laughs> we we sat down in my studio and I got out like my most expensive bottle. Barbarian. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and yeah. we, did, we did this whole tasting ritual where like you dip your fingers in the glass and you rub your hands together and you smell it. And then you like hold it in your mouth, you breathe here, no, all these things. And then we talk about like, where were you 16 years ago when this was put in that cask and this whole thing. And he's like, I think I like scotch now. I'm like, yes, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm here for. <laughs> no, I was thinking, I was thinking that I don't like scotch and I really doubt that I would <laughs> get to like it even doing that, but we can yeah, try. Happy, happy to. Um, I want to go back real quick. I haven't I haven't quite articulated this well enough to know where it kind of fits in the rubric of the four. But at least in my experience, I have a decently high degree of confidence in my own opinion, even if it's something that I've like I don't know about that much. Like someone like, what do you think about this? Well, like what I know, like blah, 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 blah. Um, but then stuff that I really know about like music, I have a very high degree of confidence of what's good and what's not, but then a very low degree in confidence that people are actually going to see, accept, and value my opinion and what I'm doing with the music. Is that is that more of that the line to one, or is that navigating? What's, what's going on there? So I, I think that's common among fours, a, a strength of opinion and perspective. Right. And we can call it the connection to one. Right. And see it as just part of the gestalt of the four. But I would say the same, you know, I would say that about pretty much every four I've ever met. Right. That they have strong feelings about things. Hmm. Right. And they have a tendency to be passionate about those feelings. Again, see, for me, one of the, you know, downsides to quick labels and stereotypes is to see fours as a withdrawn type. Hmm. Right. I see fours who are really aggressive people. Hmm. Right. And do they withdraw at times? Yeah, sure. But doesn't everybody else? Right. But for me, they're very vocal in their opinions. And there's this, there's this almost aggression in search for authenticity, right? This, I, you know, the, the word authenticity is just, you know, might as well be tattooed on every four, <laughs> right? Of, you know, something that they're always looking Actually for. Actually got it right here. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. yeah, we didn't need to see that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but. yeah and, and, and I think there's also these tendency to identify with their opinions. There's something about identity there. So you kind of defend it because you are there. You are in that opinion. You are in that thought. And that makes it more intense and hmm. passionate, but also harder to change. That's interesting. In yeah. If they're unwilling to let go of that yeah. need to differentiate. And in fact, one of the one of the practices we recommend for fours is disidentification. Learning to recognize the labels they put on themselves, 
the identities they put on themselves and then let go of those, right? Because again, what you start to see after a while is that they're they're grasping on to the same identifications mm. as almost every other four, which shows that it's not real. And I mean, the path for everybody is to let go of their identification so they can be free. So opinions about things, but four, four struggle with it a lot. So the reason that they you know struggle to let go of it, because it does feel so personal for them that um, you know giving up an opinion, giving up a point of view, giving up a, a hobby or you know an endeavor feels like a death. Hmm. Okay, even more so than it does to other people. I think. Let's say a little bit more about that. Like what what's what's an example. I can think of a few situations, but I'm not sure they entirely match what you're saying. Yeah, so the, um, what we see in fours is a, is a non-conscious tendency to compare and contrast with others. I'm like this, I'm not like that, okay? I'm not like you, I'm not like you, I'm not like my mother, I'm not like my father, etc. <laughs> and that I'm not like, or I am this, becomes the core of their sense of self. And again, we all mm -hmm. do this, but the fours have kind of a doctorate in it. Right? <laughs> okay. And so, so learning to let go of that. And, and what it does is whenever you're into that you know, loop of comparing or contrasting or grasping, you're really not being authentic, right? Because if I'm busy comparing myself to somebody else, or contrasting myself with somebody else, then what I'm really doing is reflecting in the ways in which I am like them, right? Or I fear that I'm like them, okay? Uh, you know, I'm not like my father. I'm not like my father. Well, if, if you're still hung up on that, it means you don't really believe it. So l learning to come to peace with that is the path of growth for the four. I, I think there is an adaptive way of using that where how I've, the obsession with becoming like a better thinker or even who I want to be as a person, like what skills do I want to have or what role do I want to play in society? It's, it's easier in general to define what you're not in order to finally get to the thing that you want to be. And so I think, I think there's a way to approach that comparing and contrasting without attaching to the notness and seeing what the, I guess, the positive um, thing that emerges through that comparing and contrasting. Sure. So, but notice what you did there. Mm -hmm. You talked about skills to develop, right? Mm -hmm. Which is different from identifications, right? But we can have skills and develop those skills, but not see mm -hmm. ourselves as identified by them. Uh, it's like a baseball player, for example, right? Who, you know, keeps working on their skills. Uh, do you know what baseball is? The two of you, I, I know that I have these obscure references. <laughs> no, I don't. But, Can you tell uh, okay. me about yeah. it? All right. Well, yeah. Okay. So let, let so, so so let's say football. Okay, and we'll we'll talk about okay. that one. American that football. Play with their feet, right? Yeah, yeah. Which real, football? Real, real, real yeah, one? Real, yeah, the, the one that's happening in the World Cup. Wanna yeah. be? Yes. Wanna be? Okay. Yeah. So, um, you, you know, we can work on our skills. And, you know, continue to train. But if we just only identify ourselves as a football player, mm -hmm. then we're lost when our career's over. 
right? So developing skills is different from an identification. And that's something I certainly applaud, right? You know, identify what kind of person do I want to be Mm -hmm. is different from I'm not this or I am that and so forth Mm -hmm. because it allows for motion. It allows for progress, whereas these fixed identifications don't. Mm -hmm. And it does help you decide, like, how... How do I want to exist today? Like I, I don't. I'm not a big gamer. No, not against people that do video game stuff. But like that's, I know that's not who I want to be, and that's not how I want to spend my time. I'd rather go on a hike somewhere. And it's, it's comparing and contrasting towards something that I know fills me up rather than just numbs me out. Yeah. So again, I would argue that you're, you know, you're talking about an activity, right? And mm-hmm. you, you know. Um, so how I want to spend my time. Now, if you were to start, you know, wearing the robe of someone who's a hiker, right, and identify with that, that's mm-hmm. kind of different. Okay. Okay. So the dysfunctional thing is not, you know, it's not dysfunctional to say, well, here's the kind of life I want to live. Mm-hmm. And here are the kind of activities I want to pursue. Here's the character I want to have. I'm going to be somebody who tells the truth. I want to be somebody who's kind. Those are not unnecessary identification. Those are just the building of character. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's when it becomes this psychological trap that holds us in place that we have a problem. It's not even you know dysfunctional to say, hey, aesthetics are really important to me. And I want this dinner to be a really special experience. So I'm going to go out and buy a bunch of you know, new, new plates or something. Um, <laughs> right, right. That, yeah, you know, nothing you, inherently wrong You really wrong resonate with that. with that experience. Yeah, exactly right. right. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> look, you guys have seen me eat. I eat off the table with my hands. So, yeah. Yes. You know, you know. <laughs> um, it's like when I was, and it's funny because I resonate with that a lot. And, and it's the line, the relationship with to one, and I mean, between one and four. But to me, it's perfect when it's aesthetically pleasant mm-hmm. and remember when we were about to eat dinner and we were doing preparing that platter and i had to put everything kind of on that platter <laughs> in a way that yes. looked good because just i it was no pleasure eating it just out of the box and sure. um so there's a similarity there i think but it's different mm. to me the aesthetics makes it perfect if, if i'm gonna riff on that a little bit part of me didn't want to go through the effort of figuring out how to make that charcuterie board aesthetic because it was just it would have taken too much out of me because because i would have obsessed about it being perfect. like your soul yeah like, <laughs> like i like soul? i would have had to just like figure out what is the most best i just like no we just need to eat so we can keep filming um <laughs> But yeah, that's that's my own things to work through. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Is there any other aspects of the four that we want to we want to hit on to finish? So this yeah, so, so I think one of the most important things, and you know, to, at the risk of getting ahead of ourselves related to the uh, their core qualities, what's driving the four is this feeling of a loss of contact with their inherent individuality. Mm. You know, I have four kids. Maria Jose has two kids. I don't know what it's like there in uh, Chile, but in the U.S., when a child is born, you know, they clean off the baby and then they they take a footprint. Mm. 
And the reason they take a footprint is because every footprint, like every fingerprint, is unique. And should the babies get mixed up in the maternity ward, they can look at the footprint. Okay, mm. That just goes to show us that every child, every human being is a priori unique. But we start to lose that sense of being an individual because we start picking up all these messages from our parents. And we start picking up all these messages from our holding environment, all these messages from our social group that we have to identify with in order to survive as a member of a social species. So the, the fundamental grappling that a four is doing is trying to get back and to nurture that sense of being inherently individual. And the irony is, of course, is that the only way to really get back in touch with that is to kind of stop trying. The, I, think it's, um, I think it's a Merton quote, Thomas Merton, mm -hmm. said the, the difference between longing and belonging is B, to, to recognize your own inherent localized perspective of this crazy universe and, and finding, finding how you belong within it as your distinct self is is the work the work is worth it um it's yeah it's, it's too lonely it's too lonely to constantly stay separate from everyone else yeah yeah do we think anybody would question if craig is a four or not <laughs> yeah. After this i dare anyone um <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> And and, and and I just have to ask, did you get that Thomas Merton quote from Seth Abram? <laughs> I think it was probably from, uh, from a podcast or something. But, I mean, that's a good guess, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Love to Seth, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, it sounds like a quote that he would have at the tip of his tongue. <laughs> he has a lot of quotes on the tip of his tongue, yeah. Um, <laughs> and leave that in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So as we're, as we're wrapping this up, let's just hop into some growth strategies for the four in all of our unique complexities. Mario, what do you got? I got nothing, man. I just, yeah. You know, with, with <laughs> fours, I just throw in the towel. Mm. No, I think, again, it's recognizing that the, 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 the best way to truly express who we are the, the best way to understand who we are and to be unique in a healthy way is to stop trying so hard, right? Is to kind of relax into it. It's that equanimity thing of, I don't have to show how different I am. I just, just be, you know, to your point. Mm. Um, and the, the better we get at that, the more our natural authentic self will show itself, but it'll be a healthier version. I always like to be careful about this idea of a, an authentic self because some people think it's something you have to return to or some back to you sort of thing. No, it's not going back to something. It's the authentic self emerging and developing. It's the reaching of our authentic potential that is the path. And whenever we're trapped in this idea of comparing and contrasting and grasping and envying, that we, we hold ourselves back from flourishing and expressing our full potential. Mm -hmm. I would also add, um, 
what we said about thinking that you've got it tougher, that it's more challenging for you, that, that belief, I think we all have beliefs that are our biases given by our type. In the case of type four, while striving to feel unique, when you think that your situation is more difficult, tougher, you suffer more. And it is a misrepresentation of reality. And my experience is that force who are able to see that uh, and be more objective about situations they're in, um, have a better time responding to it. I mean, they're more adaptive because they see it more, I said, objectively, and they suffer less. I, I will add something, Marie Jose, something you said there made me think of, um, you know, this idea of envy. Uh, I remember years ago when, uh, I think it was before I got married, I had a friend who was a, a four and we were out at a, a bar one night and he had had a, a bit to drink. And uh, at one point he just says- How much? Uh, it was a fair amount, you know. I, 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 I was just drinking Diet Coke and seltzer water, but yeah. um, you know. But at one point, he turns to me and says, "I am so jealous of you. You know, you have a great life, and I've got a shitty life. You know, and I wish I had you this, and I wish I had you that, and blah blah blah." And I'm thinking to myself, "Man, oh man, but you're you're missing the big picture here because my life ain't so great. You know, yeah, it was better than his, but it, you know, it wasn't." you know, something particularly to strive for. It's this, force have this tendency to almost romanticize their own suffering mm -hmm. and idealize the lives of others. And that causes that envy of, I want what you have, and I'm angry mm -hmm. that I don't have it, so I come up with all these reasons to reject and to wallow in my misery. But to actually practice real empathy and understand the other person's life and their experience and what they're going through and how they're suffering is a good experience and a good practice for force because they realize that they don't have, uh, they haven't cornered the market on suffering. Uh, something of one of um, Michael Naylor, who's a he's a, an addictions counselor and Enneagram mm -hmm. teacher up in Maine, he told me once mm -hmm. that uh, the other side of the coin of envy is admiration and... Mm -hmm so obvious now but when he said it it just hit me like a ton of bricks i mean wow okay mm. that's it's it's me envying someone who i admire is just sucking all the joy out of how how awesome their life is and, and the potential that i have to get there um whatever that means right. i guess to my fellow fours out there all i would say is Remember that emotions are feedback, not failure, and that depth and profundity is always in front of you. You just have to be brave enough to see it. I have that written on a coffee mug, <laughs> oddly enough. <laughs> Those exact words. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for representing the four to us, Greg. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast.